0: John 16. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the Prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, shall we pray? Um, Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you that Jesus was prepared to speak to his disciples about the importance of being in the world and what it meant And pray that you would help us this morning in different ways as we hear these words to grow in depth, in confidence, in love for you. Amen. Um, In the summer, we plan to uh, walk up Mount Snowdon. It's one of those things that if you've It's just there to do. And I know that my wife is quailing at the thought of the idea of coming back. (laughs) I don't know why we booked something the next day, because I'm sure our legs will ache forever. But um, it's an important thing to be able to do. And part of me wanting to do it was that as a youngster in the Scouts, we took a a Scout trip to Snowdon. And um, we were there uh, in the morning. And it was a bright, sunny day, not very different from today. Nevertheless, I packed my rucksack with everything I could find. Extra, extra clothing, waterproofs, enough Kendall Mint cake to build a small shelter. Just enough to get up there. And, and I thought that was fine. And I remember the skipper saying, oh, you won't need all that today. It's a fantastic day. Look at the weather. Look at the... You, we could see snowden at the top from where we were. And it's just going to be a beautiful day. Halfway up... When our sac- second map was blown away by the wind and the hail, I asked the skipper, "Isn't our motto to be prepared?" <laughs> Sorry, what an annoying little fourteen-year-old I was. <laughs> but there's something there about, isn't it? How do I, you know, if I want to see things through, how do I, how do I prepare? How do I, how I, how do I, how am I going to? What are the things I'm going to put store in and what are the things I'm going to say I don't need that? And you'll gather from me, I'm the kind of person who sort of would rather need, have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And that's not a bad thing, actually, in life. But I wonder what you put your trust in. I wonder what helps you get through the day. I wonder what help, what's helping you cope with the news at the moment. I wonder what's helping us as a church Um, when pressure's been applied think about the last two years of isolation and being separated and I wonder what brings you comfort what motivates you what makes you say this is worth doing it's important isn't it and in this passage Jesus and I'm sorry we haven't done the whole chapter I, I know that some of you are keen that we would see the whole lot through but quite frankly it's so dense We'd all need sort of jungle machetes and stuff. But there's so much going on here that Jesus is preparing his disciples for what lies ahead. And it will be a period, as we know, of tragedy and a period of uncertainty, pressure, and fear. And in fact, it's preoccupying them already, isn't it? We read in verse... um, In verse six, I've said all these things because you're filled with grief. They haven't even really asked Jesus about what's going on for him. They haven't really engaged with what he says is happening. They're so preoccupied about the impact upon them. Well, isn't that kind of a normal human emotion? You hear some bad news, and we reflect mostly on how it impacts us. It's actually a step outside ourselves. Sometimes to actually see how that's impacting the people in front of us. And the, the disciples, it's happening to them, and Jesus can see that it's a really big deal for them. What's happening to him is going to impact them. And so the first thing he, in, he starts to talk about is to expect opposition. He describes in verse 2 the sorts of things that are going to happen to them. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time's coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They don't know, really. People in the synagogue don't really yet know God in the way that the disciples do. They haven't met Jesus and accepted him as the fulfilment of God's plan to save people, what the, what the psalmists, what the psalms we've just read, were talking about. They haven't accepted that. They haven't taken that step to believe that that is what God wants. They, they're holding on to what they want. It looks respectable. It looks righteous, even. But it isn't rooted in Jesus Christ or God's action in the world, is it? there is some historical evidence that some Pharisees had interpreted Numbers chapter 25 in which Phineas murders an idolatrous priest that that was that was interpreted as an act of atonement for the sins of the people so in some little circles of the synagogues there was this kind of predisposition to rooting out stuff it would be good for us to get rid of this these people and they were basing it on religious texts on the stories that they had heard stories that they'd clung to I wonder how you would feel about no longer being welcome no longer being part of the church because you had remained faithful and the church had moved a different direction that they couldn't see the hand of God. I wonder how that would really feel. I think it's gritty. I think it's tough. In fact, Catherine and I know it's tough. We served in a church that had many of the trappings of a competent church. People who knew about the the church representation rules, who had an effective parish giving scheme, who had a, a, a a dedicated choir. And things started well enough but after six months, someone approached me and asked me to stop talking about Jesus. After a year, they asked me to stop talking about God. And after that, they asked me if, the, if I would welcome the Imam because he wanted to preach. C of E. It's a long, very painful journey. We will not always be welcome if we hold to the gospel. It's important. Opposition will come because people will feel comfortable where they are. And it can look righteous, but it is not right with God. Opposition comes. And Jesus lays out for the disciples then, as he sometimes has for himself, that, you know, they will think they are winning They will think that they have achieved. They will have, Jesus says, their hour. But it will be empty and it will be meaningless. So the first thing is to expect trouble. Remember, Jesus said, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Expect trouble. The second thing is to stand firm. Let's look at this in verse one. The whole purpose of what Jesus is telling the people is so that they will not fall away, so that you will not go astray. He's talking about the apostasy that they will be under pressure. Remember, Christianity kind of was born out of Judaism, out of the synagogue. And so most Christians were Jews. So there'd be immense pressure Upon them to just recant this newfangled cult and return to the the Torah, to the worship, to what they knew already. And of course, we know in the early church, death was the main uh, threat for this. Saul, of course, was the main main person who persecuted, and we know that St. Stephen died, you know. Explaining the very gospel that they were rejecting. So, Jesus is explaining to them, though, the biggest danger isn't death. The biggest danger is to give up and apostasy. The biggest danger is when the pressure's on, we concede ground and we say, okay, let's do it that way. Let's do that then. Let's keep everybody happy. Let's keep them on board. That's really tough. Because sometimes we're doing it because people aren't quite spiritually where we, where, where we are and we want to encourage them to walk. But are they actually facing the same direction is my question. I'm quite happy to walk with anyone who's facing the same direction. But if they're wandering off in another direction, are we walking together? I'm not sure. So it's tempting, isn't it? I'm, I think we all know the pressure of having to stand firm and that... The heart-wrenching thing that it is to to know people who aren't quite where you are. We all know that pressure, I think. We all know that bit of despair that says, Lord, how long until you speak to them? How long until they come? But I'm not sure giving ground brings them into the same place. It's a tough one, isn't it? It's really difficult. People will quite happily say Jesus was a great moral teacher, but most people will stop short of him being the son of God himself. And so we have to be prepared, don't we, for standing firmly and steadfastly about the things that Jesus has revealed, which is why Jesus talks then about the Holy Spirit. And a lot of this chunk of scripture focuses around verse 8 to 12, because the Holy Spirit is the one who is going to come and help. He's the one who is going to um, sustain and guide and reveal things for us, to to show us um, how to live well amongst this difficult and dangerous environment. And although this passage is very much rooted in the things that are about to happen to Jesus, there are some things that we can take away. So let's have a look at that in a bit more depth. Um, First of all, it's important to know, isn't it, that the Holy Spirit is referred to as a person. He, when he comes, verse eight, he will convict the world of guilt. He will do these things. It's a personal, sometimes we find that people talk about the Spirit as if it's some kind of impersonal force like Star Wars or karma or something like that. But actually, we've got a person With whom we can relate we've got a person who gets us who knows us in fact if you look at your theology carefully he's the one who brought you to christ in the first place his goal is to bring people to christ so he's excited and he's on your side but there are things the holy spirit does that he's got a clear role in understanding the world in which we live So let's have a quick look at verse um, eight. We've got these interesting little phrases here, haven't we? When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And then verse nine, in regard to sin, because men don't believe in me, in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. We're we're big fans of um, crime dramas. I think the one we're watching a lot of at the moment is Special Victims Unit. It's not happy, quite frankly, but it's good stuff. And now and again, you get a crime, you get a crime scene unit come in, you know, the, uh, the forensic guys. And they come in and they spray a room with luminol and then they bring in a UV light and all of the disaster and the crime is revealed because of these splatters and everything. And you can see how horrible it's been. And the evidence is all there. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and he shows this light. Actually, things aren't what they should be. The things are, are not what they could be at all. In fact, what he reveals is that people's hearts aren't right at all. One of the first things he's done is convicted the world that it didn't believe in Jesus. It's, it's convicted them that you did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God come to rescue you from your sin, from your rebellion from your judgment, which is really quite tough, isn't it? He shows the world has done evil rather than good of believing the one God sent. We are in an environment that chooses not to believe Jesus is the one. We're in an environment that's in darkness most of the time. But we are glad, aren't we, that the Spirit is with us to help us when we're speaking to people, help us to understand we know that i think it was john stott who said when he was speaking to somebody who did not believe he knew that it wasn't an equal conversation there were two to one the spirit was also at work with that person so jesus the first thing the holy spirit has done is it is revealed that people are not inclined to trust god we know that from the book of genesis people don't choose god readily the second thing is that Jesus has gone back to the Father. This is a bit more tricky, actually, in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father. The righteousness that Jesus that has driven Jesus back to the Father is the false righteousness of being religious and being uh, looking respectable and thinking that you're on, in charge. In Romans 9 uh, and 10 and 11, Paul has this massive argument trying to explain why Israel hasn't believed. And one of the things he says is that they created a choosing, they chose a right, sorry, they chose a righteousness of their own making. It's that righteousness. It's not just the rejection of God, it's the self righteousness that we choose. It's the self righteousness that we have to contend with sometimes when we are sharing with people about God. That's the thing that's going to hit the road because you'll say something about, well, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they'll say, yeah, but I'm not as bad as Hitler. And they've got this scheme of work, haven't they, if you like, in which there's a scale and they think they'll scrape through. But that's not what the Bible says, is it? The Bible actually says all have sinned and fall short. So we have to understand that the world not only rejects Jesus, but it has its own systems of righteousness because we have chosen to decide. Think about our culture. It's not that different from the ancient world. It's it's pluralistic, multi-faith, it's autonomous, choose what you like for yourself, and it's pretty tolerant. If you think about Paul's letters, they all address those sorts of, they're all written to churches in those sorts of cultures people choose so we've got two problems people don't necessarily choose Jesus they wouldn't readily and they choose their own righteousness instead that is hard work hands up if you find it hard work sharing with people about Jesus only a dozen of you right <laughs> I think it's more than that isn't it thank you for that. but it is it's the toughness isn't it So we need to be clear about what we're about, and that's what the um, Holy Spirit, that's what he wants to do. He reminds us in verse, Jesus reminds us in verse 11 that actually the evil one, the prince of this earth, he will stand condemned, he will not win. The hour in which the religious people think they have won is actually the beginning of the undoing of the oppression by Satan of the world. Is about the beginning of the release of people from darkness into light. His power, yes, he has some. But as we said last week, he answers to Christ. Jesus said in you know, the previous chapter, he has no hold over me. We bring Jesus into the situation. We pray that he will eventually wrestle people free. But it means that we need to be sort of focused as well, doesn't it? And in the, ne- in the following verses, verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Okay, that's not about uh, new revelation and fresh revelation and um, people standing up and saying, ah, oh, and I see this on YouTube, so apologies if you love YouTube. Um, but... You know, We see these pastors, normally quite popular ones with planes and large houses, um, talking about there's going to be a new movement of the Spirit here and there's going to be a new thing here and we're entering a thing here. And, and I don't know where they get it from. Because what Jesus, and they'll quote something like this, there'll be a new revelation, but what Jesus is saying about the Spirit here is he will guide you into truth and Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth he 's the whole revelation of God. He is the fullness in him was the fullness of the invisible god there 's nothing more we need to worry or concern ourselves about it 's all about him and the spirit he will guide us in how our relationship with him works out in our day to day lives how what implications it has for how we, what we do and how we do it, our business decisions, how we treat our clients, what job choices we make, whatever, the Spirit is there to guide us in how we live out the truth that Christ is placed in our hearts. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Um, there's a Croatian evangelical once said, uh, so much Western evangelicalism is shallow and selfish. It promises much and demands very little it offers success happiness peace of mind prosperity but it rarely rarely speaks of repentance sacrifice self-denial being holy or being willing to die for christ oops where did we go wrong is that is that i hope that's not our our picture of what being a christian is but we can see what he's talking about i think we want to grow and the ways to do it are to apply Christ to our lives. To say to Christ, but you've done all of these things. How can I be more like you? Not the me I imagine, but the me I would be if you were me. That's what we want. We want God's life, which is what Jesus is declaring over us, to take shape. If we are to glorify God then the life of Christ is revealed in us through the work of the Spirit who convicts us of the stuff we don't always remember to do and reminds us that we're not self-righteous and reminds us that we've been set free from darkness. So I want us to take this text it's tough, tough stuff in there But the world is tough, actually. The gospel is about comforting the disturbed and disturbing the comfortable. Now, it's probably both groups of people in this room. But there's tough stuff to take on board here. How are we going to live authentically as Jesus did? Because in verses 14 and 15, we see, this is quite convoluted, but we see that the glory that God has given Jesus, he gives to us so that we can glorify God by living the way that he told us to. And the only way we can do that is through the, <laughs> through the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't ask me to repeat that, I got lost in the middle. <laughs> but there's a shaping of us by the Holy Spirit which will bring glory to God. That comes from recognising what the world is like who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's about. So I wonder, is it a what or a who that you turn to when things are difficult? Is it a thing or is it Jesus? I wonder if we can understand the world a bit better, whether we can actually be a bit more compassionate. Jesus came knowing the world was like this, Can we reflect God's compassion even though the world is rejecting us? Do we trust more readily that Jesus has revealed his victory over sin, his victory over death, his victory over Satan in our lives? Is that taking shape in us or have we got comfortable with the things that we don't want to address? Do we trust that when the Holy Spirit leads us, it's going to glorify God somehow? We probably look for the end end result before we jump in, but the Holy Spirit is leading us that we would glorify God, and he, through Christ, is the author and perfecter of our faith. Do we trust the Holy Spirit in our lives? So just be still for a moment and ponder maybe one of those questions. Is it a what or a who you turn to? Are we able to be compassionate in the world that we are in? Are we prepared to stand by what, what we believe Jesus has revealed? And are there things in our lives which the Holy Spirit can lead us in?